This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Virginia only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 532 3500. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. Welcome back to the Danny Mac podcast on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. So glad you've given me some of your time today as I try to put some perspective on another weekend of NFL football and uh, what was a, a less than gratifying weekend from a spectating standpoint. And that's what all of us are here, right? We're just fans, fans talking to fans. Usually I drop these on Monday morning, but you know how much I love the NBA. I wanted the the podcast to launch. I can't even say it without cracking up. I wanted to launch on the day when they were lighting the fuse to the NBA season so I could give you all my divisional winners. Actually, I'm not going to do that today. And I'm not going to talk much about the baseball playoffs, even though I find them intriguing. Uh, not because I'm watching, but just because I'm watching outcomes and disappointed last night. Game five of the Yankees series against the Cleveland Guardians was postponed because of weather, not because I really wanted to see the decisive game. And if yet another dominant regular season team was going to watch League Championship Series play on the couch, but because I wanted to see how badly the NFL game a game involving two teams that really are not a national draw, despite a few big names, how badly that NFL game last night would have pounded a playoff game in baseball season. As bad as these Monday night games can be, and our Thursday night package this year has been an absolute disaster, they beat the crap out of other sports when lined up head-to-head and often is the case where baseball doesn't even want to give it a shot. And it was crappy weather in New York last night. So I'm not saying they just, they chickened out and they didn't want to give it a shot. The weather was bad. Weather's always bad this time of the year in the Northeast and the Midwest. You don't play these playoffs During October, wake up, baseball. Next year, get it together. Go to a 96-game schedule and start the playoffs the first week of September before the NFL gets a head start on your asses and just puts you so far in the rearview mirror it can't even see you by the time we get to November. So let me get to last night's punctuation mark on week six. It was... The Los Angeles Chargers overtime winners over the Broncos, 19-16. to 16. I often uh, denigrate kickers. I don't think they deserve to travel with the other football players, the real football players on team flights, and often is the case when they're, they're more trouble than they're worth. But in the case of the Chargers kicker last night, Dustin Hopkins, um, you know, a game ball, perhaps to Hoppy 
good old number six, who was hobbled. Hopkins was hobbled, yet he still managed to trot out there and boot the 39-yarder that won it. Uh, four field goals on the night to make up for a bad day. Not a bad day in terms of numbers overall for Justin Herbert, who's still trying to play his way through bad pain in the ribs. He's got a rib cartilage tear. He's he's trying to deal with that. He, uh, he threw for just 230-some yards last night on 57 attempts. Just a terrible yards per attempt average. And Mike Williams was, you know, Patrick Sertan the second, not junior, Patrick Sertan the second did a really nice job on him. Williams caught only two balls for uh, 17 yards last night. And Jim Covert recently pointed this out to me, the Hall of Fame former Bears tackle, that few people want to recognize those guys on the other side get paid too. When great players underwhelm, sometimes it's appropriate to give some credit to the guys who defended them. And that's what we just did in the case of Pat Sertan second, And now he can celebrate and know we recognized him. The real story last night is, is not on the winning side. It's on the losing side. Denver continues to reel with its highly paid quarterback, Russell Wilson, still scuffling terribly to find the form he enjoyed for a decade in Seattle. Wilson in the second half last night was 3 of 11 for 15 yards. Those are not the kind of numbers, and I know he's playing on the road, but SoFi Stadium is not an incredible home field advantage for the Chargers, whose real home remains a few few hours north in San Diego. That's not a, a, a wild place to play. Those fans aren't that vocal there, even when the Rams are playing. But the Chargers, nonetheless, shut the door on Wilson who is really putting his team in a hole this year uh, terribly early in the season. Not that they can't dig their way out of it, but they've got some work to do in the AFC West. Kansas City falling to 4-2 and two with the loss to the Bills this past weekend and the Chargers improving to 4-2 and two with their win last night. And Khalil Mack, by the way, I should note, had another sack last night and also batted down a Wilson pass. He has six sacks on the season. That is among the league leaders. So kudos to Khalil Mack, who is proving he still might have a little bit left in the tank. And there were a lot of us who doubted that in his last couple years in Chicago. He wasn't very effective. But the Wilson problem is hamstringing the Broncos terribly, and they do not have the benefit of a great running game to go with him to help him out. Javante Williams, the second-round pick last year, is gone for the year with an ACL, and that means Melvin Gordon has to be counted on. But Gordon wasn't counted on last night. They didn't give him a chance. And after the game, the 29-year-old running back expressed concern and confusion over why he didn't get on the field last night. Newly acquired Latavius Murray, originally a Raider and a Viking, a Saint. He's he's blown all over this league like running backs do, but he's never really been a bona fide number one. They signed Latavius Murray 
and he winds up getting the bulk of the work last night for Denver. 15 attempts for 66 yards. Gordon appeared puzzled um, by being reduced to a spectator last night. With Williams out, he figures he's going to be the man, and he says afterward to tell you exactly what happened. I can't tell you because I don't know. No one mentioned anything to me. Just waiting for my number to be called so I can go out there and help my teammates. It was a close game, and I felt like I could have made a difference, but apparently not. This dude's been in the league for eight years. He's 29, not nine. He put the ball on the ground four times in the first four weeks of the season. Now, in his defense, he carried 15 times last week and also caught three passes and did not fumble in Denver's loss to the Colts on Thursday night football a week and a half ago. You might recall that thrilling 12-9 finish. Um, That kicked off week five. But Gordon needs to look at the writing on the wall. When they went out and signed Latavius Murray, that clearly was a message. They don't trust him. You need a backup anyway. Everybody's got to have a few running backs. It shouldn't have been a colossal surprise to him that he wasn't involved. And if there was no conversation with him That's on his coach, Nathaniel Hackett, who is proving to be overmatched very early in his first season as a headmaster, and on his positional coaches. But I can't believe there hasn't been discussion in Denver with Gordon about not hanging on to the hoochie. I mean, are you serious? You haven't heard the stories since, you know, with the the two fumble games, they didn't lose either of them, but I think it was in week three, he fumbled twice. And there was discussion the next week about how Tiki Barber and his career learned to overcome having fumbleitis and constantly having the penchant for laying it on the ground. You carry a football with you everywhere you go. Go ahead, challenge people to knock it out of your arms. That's being discussed in live broadcasts when Melvin Gordon's playing. His mailman, his buddy, his... You know, a Wisconsin teammate doesn't say, hey, they're talking about you and you're fumbling about. What do you mean you don't know why you're not on the field last night? What the F are you talking about? Not a good start for the Broncos. And you have to wonder if their second-year GM, George Payton, is going to survive this season. So far, early indications are his judgment stinks. He hired Hackett, who has proven to be not good and making really questionable decisions when to kick, when to go for it. Uh, All kinds of things going on with his fingerprints on a Denver offense that is sputtering to say the least. They can't score at home. They can't score on the road. Uh, Other than that, they're doing, they're doing everything right. And uh, Peyton went out and guaranteed Russell Wilson, $165 million in the offseason because he was impressed by the presence Wilson carried in the hallways at Broncos camp. Enjoy that uh, that atmosphere and your guaranteed $165 million. And with salary cap issues, there's no way the Broncos can go out and pay 
for a top-tier quarterback. If one is available in the offseason, sure, you can draft one. But if you draft one high, you're going to have to pay him a significant signing bonus. Plus, you have Wilson's money on the books. Wilson is their starter for at least the next two seasons and this one. So you're stuck with this guy. And George Payton committed a hell of a lot of money to a guy who appears to be done. If you are sick of matchups on the nationally televised games, like ones that include the Denver Broncos, I wish I had better news for you regarding your short-term viewing future. This coming Thursday night, two teams with two and four records, two teams probably on most uh, prediction lists were not expected to be playoff teams this year. The New Orleans Saints traveling to Maricopa County, Arizona, to take on the Arizona Cardinals. They will be getting DeAndre Hopkins back. Remember him? Yeah, he was suspended the first six games of the year. He makes his return uh, to a Cardinals offense that has really sputtering, and you wonder how many more bad Thursday night games can Al Michaels takes before he opens the window and jumps out of the booth hoping to land on his head. I keep waiting for a good backdrop to see if Michaels and Kirk Herbstreet can develop some chemistry together. They're working together for the first time. Herbstreet working NFL games on a full-time basis for the first time in his career. That's a colossal ego with which he has to gel in Michaels. And they haven't really had a good game to sell. They haven't had that really tightly contested good game with household names doing the type of things that got them to household name status. That's not been the case for the Cardinals quarterback this year, Kyler Murray, who has struggled mightily. And uh, he's one of two guys. Justin Herbert became the second last night to have 57 or more attempts in a game this year and not manage a touchdown pass. That is hard to do. 57 attempts, no TD passes. Well, that's not why you give these guys the big contracts they do. But nonetheless, Arizona at home with New Orleans this week. New Orleans, a bunch of gadgets, and maybe they're a better football team with Andy Dalton under center. I don't know. They couldn't hang on against the Bengals this past week, and I enjoyed that because I had Cincinnati. It was one of my better plays, bigger plays for the weekend. A weekend when I stuck true to the commandments. I only played four football games this weekend. Three of them Sunday went two and one, uh, with both of the wins being higher digit moves than the loser. And then another low digit loser last night, because I thought the Chargers would handle the four and a half. But I digress. Back to the schedule of lousy games. On the island, as I like to call it, all by themselves on a Thursday night or a Sunday night or Monday night. In the case of this Sunday night's game, we get Steelers and Dolphins, the two and four Steelers, fresh off their shocking win over Tampa Sunday, going to Miami. The Dolphins are three and three. No idea yet if Tua Tagliaviola is going to be ready to come back for Miami. I think after all the scrutiny Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins medical staff took for Tua's quick return four days after he had his eggs scrambled, uh, 
they're not likely to rush him back there. Sure, they want to win a game, and this is a game they should win with or without their best quarterback because the Steelers are not a very good football team. I don't care what happened against Tampa this past week. Pittsburgh is bad. I've seen enough of the Steelers to know this year the Dolphins at home should be able to take care of them with fill-in-the-blank under center. So Steelers and Dolphins this Sunday night. Monday night, it's the Bears and the Patriots. The 2-4 and four Bears at the 3-3 three and three Patriots. Wow. Uh, I'll get to that one in just a little bit. We get back to better football in week eight. Hopefully, hopefully it's a better game. Thursday nights often mean lousy games, even if you have good teams. But you got a couple of good teams. Teams expected to be postseason participants when this thing started. Uh, Thursday night's week eight opener will be Baltimore and Tampa. They're both three and three right now. But you got a recent former MVP and the greatest player of all time in Tom Brady, freshly off of attending uh, the wedding this week of Robert Kraft. What would he get Robert Kraft for his birthday, by the way? Would it be bad form to give him a gift certificate to Massage Envy? I, I don't know. I that That's my thought. Other other upcoming national games, Sunday night or week eight, Packers at Bills should be a good one. And then Joe Burrow gets a Monday night assignment to conclude week eight. So I'm, I'm hearing all of this talk Sunday as I'm listening to different outlets on Sirius XM. I, once a year, well, once every football season, I take a Sunday break and go fishing often is the case in Canada. We call it the fall brawl. It wasn't in the cards this year. Didn't have the time to get up there for a second trip. So usually I do it in Canada. Sometimes it's Hayward, Wisconsin. And on my return commute on Sunday, I peruse the NFL on Sirius XM. That's the great thing about being a Sirius XM customer. Not only do you get Howard Stern, uh, not only do you get... Uh, better music options than when you have on terrestrial radio in any market in the country. You can buzz around to your almost almost to the artist in many cases uh, if you're listening to music. But you also get every broadcast in the country. And Sunday I listened to Wayne Larravee while I was on the water. And that remains an absolute joy despite the Packers' terrible performance at home in a loss to the surging Jets, uh, it's just so nice to hear a guy who can can describe the action so vividly to an audience that cannot see it. That is a skill not every NFL broadcaster or any, any sports broadcaster possesses, and Larravee delivers at such a high rate of words per minute. I'm throwing big rubber baits uh, in hope of the North American muscalunge to uh, take a chomp, fattening up for for winter, listening to Larravee, you know, receivers draped to the right and left side. Now Lazard comes in motion near side, eye formation backfield. You know, he's just, he tells you what's going on, where the ball is going, not just down in distance and score and time on the clock. And that's what I got in the second game on my commute home. We didn't stay on the water too long. The weather turned really foul on us. We were expecting 
a nicer day once once the sun got tucked in behind the clouds after two o'clock two thirty. We 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 didn't have much left in us, so we we got the boat off the water shortly after the Chiefs and Bills kicked off. And on my commute home, I heard veteran Chiefs announcer Mitch Holtis selling the product or attempting to do so as the Chiefs wound up squandering a lead and losing to Buffalo. And you hear Holtis on all of the highlight packages. He brings it. He sells those Kansas City touchdowns. Touchdown, Kansas City. Uh, Sweet nectar of the end zone often flowing at Arrowhead. But, man, he doesn't describe what's out there in front of him the way Wayne Larrabee does. That's why Wayne is among the best at what he does. He is incredible. After the game, I listened to a lot of conversation on Channel 88. Steve and Bill are are tremendous at what they do. They've been doing it for 20 years and floating around the dial again Monday morning. People are complaining about mediocrity run amok in this NFL. The defending AFC champion Bengals are 3 and 3. The defending Super Bowl champion Rams are 3 and 3 and struggling mightily offensively. Baltimore and Cleveland, both candidates to unseat the Bengals in the AFC North, are three and three and two and four, respectively. The Ravens have blown two 17 point or more leads and now a 10 point lead after failing to close in week six. Cleveland lost at home. I don't I don't really get what's going on with some of these teams, but you know, I know it's not permanent and I am shocked to hear veteran observers writing off the season in some cases, and maybe I'm overstating it, but declaring the league bad because a few supposed to be really good teams are 500 or even below 500. The Packers are three and three. They've scored one touchdown in their last six quarters. But I agree with Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers, when he said afterward, we've been here before. You know, and and it's not true in recent years. Green Bay has reeled off three consecutive 13-win seasons. They'd have to run the table if they're going to accomplish that this year. They'd have to win 11 straight. So that is unlikely to be the case. But they've been in situations where they're trying to find their way. None of these megastars play in August. There is a feeling out process that happens at the beginning of every football season. And when you throw new players into the mix, or in the case of the Packers, younger players having to step up and take their game to the next level because of the departure of the superstar, Devontae Adams, you're going to have periods of adjustment. Tampa Bay is also three and three. The Buccaneers were huge favorites in Pittsburgh this past weekend. Can't get by Mitch Trubisky. Can't put points on the board against the defense, missing the defensive player of the year a year ago, T.J. Watt, out for the season with a torn peck. The defending Super Bowl champ Rams, 3-3. Cam Akers wants out. San Francisco 
is three and three. Lost in Atlanta Sunday. And by the way, did you know the Atlanta Falcons are the only team in the NFL that is perfect this year against the point spread? Falcons are six and zero against the number. And uh, no Nick Bosa. They lost. The 49ers lost their best corner for the season recently. Uh, Not going to be as easy as it was as everybody thought. But if you want to write off these teams because of three and three starts or even worse, let me give you a history lesson. And it's not ancient history. I'm not going to go back to Fran Tarkenton or even Dan Marino or Jim Kelly, I'm going to give you 21st century recent vintage examples of teams that weren't world beaters until it started to matter. Let's just go back four seasons. The Philadelphia Eagles were were on the heels of their first ever Super Bowl victory. They won Super Bowl 52 in dramatic fashion when Nick Foles stepped in that season and he won the Super Bowl MVP after a very, very shaky transition to succeeding Carson Wentz, back when Carson Wentz was good for a little while. Remember that? The Eagles were 4-6 and six in mid-November of 2018. They're 4-6. But they rallied and won five of their last six games, earning a wild card berth, and then coming to Chicago. Bears fans, you remember what happened? Bears and Eagles, January of 19, the famous double doink. Cody Parkey misses the field goal, and the Eagles advance. They were four and six. And that's a lot worse than three and three. You get the same? Jesse Eisenberg from the social network, in case you're wondering the reference. Same season, 2018, four seasons ago. The Indianapolis Colts started the year one and five. Rookies Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard were just starting to find their way. And what happens before all of the leaves have fallen? They begin to turn it around. And Andrew Luck starts having the best year of his career. He he threw for 39 touchdown passes. And after a 1 and 5 start, the Colts make the playoffs after going 10 and 6. How about the 2013 San Diego Chargers? They were 5 and 7 before beating Denver at Mile High then posting an overtime win over the Chiefs in Week 17. Then they beat Cincinnati in the wild card round. You're not out of it at 5-7. and seven. You sure as shit ain't out of it at 3-3. Three and three. I don't know why everybody is complaining. You expect these guys to just reel off win after win, week after week again. To quote Jimbo Covert, the other guys get paid too. Those guys on the other side also get paid. The 2011 Denver Broncos. Tebow mania. The Broncos stumbled out of the gate. They're one in four. And then they pull the plug on Kyle Orton and go to Tim Tebow. Denver went eight and eight. Okay. Not outstanding, but think one and four to get to 500 with a quarterback in Tebow completing just 46% of his passes that year. 
That's before he uncorked a 316 yards passing day to beat the Steelers in the wild card round. So you can be one and four and have a quarterback who completes fewer than 50% of his passes in recent years and still not just get to the playoffs, but win. Because it doesn't matter what the F you did during the regular season. None of that care. That doesn't matter in the playoffs. Get to the wild card round. Just get in it. You know, true, if you're the Eagles, if you're, you know, maybe at this point, the Chiefs at four and two, there's a handful of teams that aren't going to find nine and eight acceptable or, or even a little bit better than that. You expect them to win 12, 13 games, but that doesn't mean, Dick, if you don't win in January. And there are so many examples of teams that were not good in September and October and rose to the occasion. The 0-9 Jets are on my list. Rex Ryan's first Jets team started 3-0 and and then stumbled to 4-6. and So they go a 1-6 and stretch before Mark Sanchez starts to figure it out. And Thomas Jones, oh, is that a bad memory for Bears fans, the decision to let Thomas Jones go and keep Cedric Benson. Thomas had 1,400 yards that year. And the Jets, who were 4-6, and six, rebound to go 9-7. and seven. They beat Cincinnati and San Diego in the playoffs before losing to the Colts in the AFC championship game. The 0-8 Chargers were 4-8 to start the year. They only wound up 8-8 on the season, but it was good enough for a wild card game and a wild card win behind Darren Sproles. Oh, man, it's not over. It's just warming up. Relax, everybody, as I do my very best, Aaron Rodgers. Bill Belichick's Patriots won Sunday, upset winners. And they didn't squeak by in Cleveland. They smoked the Browns 38 to 15. I'll say it for the second straight week. Bailey Zappi, your table is ready, sir. 24 out of 34 for 309 yards, two touchdowns. He didn't throw an interception. Ramondre Stevenson had 19 carries for 76 yards and two touchdowns. And with the win, Belichick tied George Hallis for the most wins in NFL history, 324. Now, that's regular season wins combined with postseason wins. Belichick gets a little bit of an advantage there because he plays in a more expanded playoff format since he's been with the New England Patriots versus the days when the Bears, uh, there were only a few playoff rounds and you play an NFL championship game in so much of George Hallis's career. But I, I don't care. I am going to be happy to see Coach Hoodie, Belichick, Leapfrog, Hallis next Monday night. Don Shula, by the way, tops with 347 career wins. Coach Hoodie will need 23 more. It'll be 22 after the Patriots beat the Bears. And I think that's how we'll put a bow on week seven next Monday night. And it will be poetic justice 
when Belichick passes Hallis by beating the Bears on national TV. Hallis is perhaps the most underpublicized a-hole in NFL history. If there is a nickname that is less befitting of the individual who has it, it's Papa Bear Hallis. What do you think when you think Papa Bear? Protector, provider, nurturer, uh, close your eyes, the monster's gone, your daddy's here, John Lennon. George Hallis was a crabby old bastard who cheated his players of bonuses he promised them after the 63 championship game win over the New York Giants. I think it was a bonus of five grand a player, and he didn't make good on it. (laughs) He didn't think white players and black players should room together. Papa Bear? Man, uh, regardless of this crop of... Hallis has been dead for a long time, but it, it just amazes me how some stories never have been told. And that's one that ought to be told. It was told in the made-for-TV movie Brian's Song for Crying Out Loud. Hallis, played by the late, great Jack Warden, having to be convinced Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers should room together. Some people thought it'd be a good idea to room together by position. But Hallis objected because, oh, you got a white guy and a black guy. I don't think that's going to work out. Which one of them gets first dibs on the shower? Idiot. Papa Bear. I want to conclude you with some college football conversation. And I don't don't watch a lot of college football. I've admitted that to you. But, I, I mean, I follow the big stories, but I don't sit down in front of three television and and just devour it all day as I did in the nineties and for maybe the first 10 years of the 21st century. But I think college football has gotten a little bit more exciting this year with the strong possibility of some new faces in the playoff. Alabama loses to Tennessee in overtime 52 to 49 this past weekend. That was a fun game despite the absence of tackling and covering and sacking of quarterbacks, I watched a pretty good portion of that game. Didn't listen to it, watching a movie with my son, Patrick, but had the game on one of the little monitors up above it. And I regularly was, was watching it. Tennessee played very well. And to put that many points up on Bama is just something that never happens or hasn't happened In a long time. The 52 points the Vols put on Bama, the most since 1907. In 1907, Bama lost 54 to 4 to Sewanee. S E W A N E E. Not Sewanee, Georgia, Sewanee, Tennessee. I I looked to see if that school still exists, and it does. It's an Episcopalian private school in in rural Sewanee, Tennessee, with an enrollment of just a little less than 1,700 students. Congratulations to all Sewanee alums 
who were reminded of of their school's history of that 15 to 4 54 to 4 win over Bama back when uh, Teddy Roosevelt was president in 1907 worst loss in Bama history to Vanderbilt the previous year 78 to nothing in 1906 Vandy over Bama Bama is always in this thing they they are always in college football's final four i i i think what 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 have they missed once in eight years possibly twice in the eight years and they may wind up getting back there this year they've only got one loss and much has to play out they put their asses in the sec title game and win it they'll wind up going back the volunteers by the way six and oh ranked third in the country their first win over Bama since 06. Michigan is ranked fourth. They're seven and zero. The Vols made their first trip to the playoff last year. Just the third Big Ten school to get in. Ohio State is a regular in the Final Four. They've got a shot to go for the fifth time in nine years this year. Michigan State is the other, by the way, a few years back to get to uh, the final four, but Michigan getting there last year for the first time, real good opportunity to do it this year, but they got that Ohio state game waiting for them late in the year. Old miss is lurking unbeaten through seven games, ranked seventh in the country. TCU and UCLA also remain unbeaten ranked eighth and ninth respectively. And Clemson might wind up going back They're fifth ranked this week, seven and zero. They're always there. They didn't get in last year, but they'd reeled off six straight years uh, beginning in the second year of this playoff started. And the idea of going to expanded playoffs is very appealing to me, but I don't hate this Final Four because I am so old. I remember when Brigham Young years ago was trying to stake a claim or claim a stake if your former Bears quarterback Moses Marino claim a stake to to their position. They should have had a chance to play for the national championship, BYU and the mythical national championship of many, many years ago. But it makes it more interesting when you see a few new faces. Now, I say that, and we'll probably wind up with Bama, Clemson, Ohio, the usual suspects. But at least early on, a boy can dream. And you can watch these games and hope to see some new it's been a while since Tennessee has mattered and uh it's been a long time since they were playing Florida State and uh, a meaningful football game and T Martin was under center for Phil Fulmer the Elmer Fudd looking former head coach of the Tennessee Volunteers I want to thank you for joining me today and uh, invite you to please tell a friend about my podcast, which runs twice a week here on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. I'm going to drop again on Thursday morning and um, preview the weekend ahead and then report to you back either Monday following week seven's first chunks of games, but I'm inclined to hold next week's first podcast until Tuesday morning so we can get you some post on the Bears 
and the New England Patriots. I would hate to miss that opportunity. I hate to make myself or make you have to wait three or four days to get you my thought on the next Justin Fields production. Thanking Adam Delavitt, who is the boss at the Bet Rivers Network, for giving me these opportunities every week. And my executive producer, Sam Michael, for putting up with my technical ineptitude and being patient with me and helping me do these podcasts. And most importantly, thanking you for giving me some of your time. I am Danny Mac, and I'll be back again later in the week with more thoughts on the greatest game ever invented, the National Football League. Don't worry about three and three. It's October. Enjoy it. It's football. I'm Taya Lights for now. Have a great week.